What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods coming back at y'all with another episode of our Big 12 and 30 Days theme. And we're joined by an extremely busy man. He is the publisher of Purple Theory, contributor for CFBGraphs.com, TCU insider and analyst for Football Outsiders. We got Parker Fleming joining us today. And I just want to say I appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, Zach, no, glad to be here, man. How always uh, getting excited to talk about TCU and talk about college football as we have a normal offseason and it's, you know, it's getting close, man. It is. I, I got fingers crossed we can allow fans in. I got a list of stadiums I wanted to go to last year that I'm going to try to knock out this year. But let's get to last year, man. It was a difficult year for everybody. COVID just absolutely ruined everyone's season. TCU finished six and four, but they had a three game win streak until their, you know, and then their bowl game gets canceled due to COVID against Arkansas. I was looking, really looking forward to that one, but did this season for you exceed, fall short of, or meet your preseason expectations? Um, yeah, that's a great question. One, yeah, the, the Arkansas bowl game not happening is uh, just an outright tragedy. That was going to be so fun to see um, one, uh, you know, shades of Bryles Patterson uh, again with uh, Kendall being over there in Arkansas. And then two, Arkansas's really fun offense with an experienced quarterback versus a TCU defense that was really gelling down the stretch. Um, it, it's really hard to say um, w- whether six and four in a COVID year, given what happened to Max Duggan um, right before the season, if you remember, he had a heart problem. They talked about medical retirement and then he's back on the field a month later. Um and so I, I can talk myself into any kind of narrative and say, you know, TCU underperformed or they overperformed. Um, I, I will say it was unsatisfying because it does feel like, you know, a loss to Kansas State last year is is uh, really, really rough. Um, you are one score away from a win uh, against Iowa State. You had some opportunities against Oklahoma, especially kind of in the, the middle two quarters where Oklahoma's defense kind of stalled uh, and, and could have done something. And so I feel like it was a fine year given all the circumstances, but TCU definitely left um, some on the table. Um, as for the winning streak, it is important to note that two things happened down the stretch. One, TCU had five scholarship linemen healthy, uh, which wasn't the case for the kind of the entirety of the beginning of the year. And two, TCU played some really bad teams. And so, you know, I think they started one and three and then they, they, you know, you end the season. uh, What is that? Five and three, I guess. One and three, five and three. I can't do my math there. It ended up six and four uh, or five and one. And so you're like, okay, that's great. And you should be bad teams. But also the way the schedule worked out, TCU played Iowa State and Oklahoma uh, really early on and then played, you know, some pretty bad teams down the stretch. Right. There was one team that necessarily wasn't a bad team that you guys beat. And I wanted to get your opinion on this. Uh, my, me and my co-host are SEC guys, so we didn't know this, but we covered this TCU-Texas game, and I was doing my research on it, and I said, man, TCU's won a lot of these games recently. They've won like seven of the last nine now. They've really dominated Texas in the modern era since like 2012 or so. How does TCU seem to just have Texas's number in these recent years? Um, this this might go into like a theology of Gary Patterson. Um, <laughs> and, and my, my big picture answer is um, you have that friend, or maybe we all had that friend in high school, where if you said you won't do this, they would do it, uh, whether that's jump in the pool or, or whatever it is, you know. And uh, and Patterson's a little bit like that, where where you know he takes an immense amount of pride in being um, the overlooked little brother who outperforms and saying, yeah, that's fine. 
yeah, be a jerk to me, say bad things about me, ask if I'm over my, over my prime. Um, and, and Texas is a really good opportunity. So you put that together with, um, I think one, one big issue is that Texas, while TCU has been in the big 12 has one been in flux and been down and TCU has just been objectively better than them uh, every year, except probably two. Um, and, uh, and then when they were starting to get good under Herman, there's kind of two, uh, two issues there. One, the style of play that Herman wanted to, uh, exploit, uh, didn't really work uh, a couple of times, especially in that 2019 game. You just kind of saw Tom Herman's almost not expecting Patterson to do what he did defensively. Um, and then Herman had some struggles with defensive coordinators. And so TCU is going to, you know, they're going to put the pressure on your offense. And if your defense breaks at all, it's going to be really hard to, to, to beat them. So you get a little bit of that mojo, uh, which is a, a, a very non-technical term that I hate, but just to describe that kind of Patterson takes a lot of pride in beating Texas combined with the opportunity of defensive instability and, and a quarterback who, who really struggled to just take over, when, when he got spied. Um, and so that, that's really where I think the, the difference comes from in the, in the big 12. Um, I am very worried about Steve Sarkeesian in the big 12. Um, I think his offense <laughs> is going to be very different. I also think uh, there's, there's a lot of opportunity for, for him to say, Hey, I know what people are doing and I'm going to adapt, which has been a problem for a lot of big 12 schools to say, we're not going to try anything different. So yeah, who, who knows if that'll keep up, but, but so far it's definitely been uh Really, really interesting to see how much Patterson kind of gets up for that game and and ensures that TCU is going to um, going to be in an opportunity to win that game. Right. I mean, I, I, we had Will on for Texas, and I don't know if he was excited as maybe you even were for Steve Sarkeesian. He had a little bit of doubts in terms of what his potential could be. But I want to get to some on-the-field storylines. There's three that, I mean, I was like, whoever we get off for TCU is going to have to talk about these three things. We usually don't have this many storylines for teams on these episodes, but – there's three players I need to talk about. Max Duggan, you mentioned him before about how there was a lot of questions whether he was even going to be able to play. He had an outstanding year, in my opinion. He led the offense in passing and rushing. But for me, I feel like he's the most underrated quarterback in the Big 12. No one gives him any credit, any shine. Why do you think he's so overlooked? And what do you think his potential is moving forward? So a cynic would say that uh, Max Duggan is the most underrated running back in the Big 12 um, because <laughs> he, he really is run first. And so um, I, I think th- there's a there's a war raging for the soul of TCU's fan base regarding Max Duggan. And the, and the Chandler Morris transfer only, only complicates that, uh, although it shouldn't. Um, I, I think you cannot say anything about Max Duggan without saying that he was not supposed to start until 2020. He wasn't even supposed to compete until 2020. If TCU's wow. quarterback development pipeline goes as planned, Duggan comes in and red shirts 2019, uh, 2020. He's kind of in the, in the background, maybe he'll contend. And then 2021 as a junior, he takes over as the starter. And so for Duggan to have done what he's done and have some just um, incredible moments the last couple of years has been um, just amazing, especially when you factor in kind of the health condition and the heart stuff um, that was so scary and that he's overcome. So, I think Duggan was up and down last year, uh, and a lot of that was directly tied to TCU's offensive line. Uh, I like to joke that TCU's offense is a lot of here's the ball, good luck, which is kind of the worst version of your, you know, Doug Meacham air raid kind of guys in space. But especially with a quarterback, a lot of times Max was just running for his life. Uh, There there was a stat in 2019 uh, that Max Duggan – 
maybe it was maybe it's 2020. I'm getting my years confused now. But Max Duggan created more value with his legs than any quarterback besides Trevor Lawrence. And it was solely because Max Duggan, like third and seventh scramble was Max Duggan's special. And so he was always, you know, kind of picking up those third downs and extending drives like that. Um, and so I, I think when you look at Duggan, you really, really have to look at a guy who his development and his practice reps have been all out in the open. And that's really, really hard um, to kind of for, for a quarterback who, who is a development project, a place like TC was not getting, you know, an NFL ready guy stepping on the field freshman year. And so for him to start as much as he's done has been um, really, really interesting. You couple that with potentially some, beneficial changes to the offense. Um, I think Max Duggan's ceiling is very, very high. Oklahoma State game is a really great example of TCU's offense stalled, and they went back to that kind of screens and and goes deal that wasn't working out. And and there's a moment where Jerry Kill goes over to Doug Meacham on the sideline, and they are talking through, and Meacham is Meacham's point at plays, and Kill is shaking his head and saying, no, we're not running that, we're not running that. And they kind of redefined the choice set of plays, and the offense started clicking immediately. So with an entire offseason to work on that, um, I think his potential to be one of the top three quarterbacks in the in the Big 12 this year Um and and really kind of surprise some people just because we've seen so much of that development getting worked out in real time that other quarterbacks would would kind of have behind closed doors in practice. Right. Yeah, I, I think he's going to be really good this year. I think he's going to be right there with probably Spencer Rattler and Brock Purdy. Maybe you could throw Skylar Thompson in the mix if he comes back from injury. Okay. I mean, but this is a topic that I know our listeners are sick and tired. I have been nauseous, like just ad nauseum vocal about this player on the podcast about being the best defensive player in the draft. And that's Trevon Morig from TCU. This is that everyone has that prospect that they're like, this is the guy that I will bet my life savings on working out. And that's that's that that's Mo Rig for me. I think he has the highest ceiling of any defensive player in this draft. I think he could be a superstar. I know everyone's tired of me saying it, but for you, what do you think his NFL potential is and what made him so successful at TCU? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll correct that because it is a little bit of a, 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 a odd last name. It's it's Merrick. Uh, it's kind of the hard Merrick, okay. there, and uh, only only because I've said it confidently wrong before, as we had to learn who he was. You know, um, he he's a really great player, and um, I, I think to to think about how great he is. I mean, TCU's defense has just been exceptional, um, especially given kind of the injuries and the limitations they've had on the defensive line. So, without getting too wonky here. Um, the the four two five is TCU's base. It's kind of uh, Gary Patterson didn't invent it, but he might as well have for the for the college level. Um, and 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 what that is is basically you put another you you put kind of this hybrid safety guy instead of a, a third linebacker there. Um, and so Merrick plays strong safety, which means uh, in in a lot of run situations he's going to have to step up and make a hit, but he's going to have to be versatile enough to cover a tight end or cover a crossing route from a receiver. And so that versatility. Um, when you when you watch him, you just see every play he's doing something positive towards the play, towards the result of the play for TCU, um, and that's really hard to think about. You know, just plenty of plays where oh you get blocked or oh you take a double team, whatever. Like that's I mean those are those are good, but uh, Merrick is is involved and around, um, and so I, I I won't pretend to know as much about like technicality about the the secondary and everything, but just saying from a sheer sense of value, he was very much the linchpin that held TCU's defense together last year, um, and. Over his time, he's been excellent with a, a an offense that's really, really struggled, and there's been a ton of pressure on the defense, and he has risen to the occasion and said, hey, if we need the defense to make plays to have a chance to win, I'm going to make plays. Um, Oklahoma this year could have easily beaten TCU 80 to nothing. They were 
probably four balls where um, Merrick was on a tight end and just popped the ball out for an incompletion that just completely changed the game um, and gave TCU a kind of a shot to hang around for a little bit there. So he's, he's a dynamic player. He has, has kind of risen, risen to the role of these, high pressure situations. Uh, and, and, and it's just someone who's, who's really, really great to watch. It's, it's hard to bet against the TCU defensive uh, player in the, in the NFL, if they, you know, if they're in the draft. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I, even on the podcast, I said, he kind of reminds me of his, his ceiling could be like a cam chancellor type of guy where it's just, you base that entire secondary around him and what he can do at all these positions. Cause chancellor is kind of that guy. You can move around everywhere. And I think that's what you're going to get with Trev- uh, Trevon here, but another storyline. This is the last on-the-field storyline before we get into next year and National Signing Day and stuff, but there was never a doubt that Zach Evans was going to be a superstar, but it was just a lot of questions on where he was going to end up because this recruitment was the wildest recruitment I think we have ever seen for a player. Every week it seemed a bit another new bit of information flipped the media on its head. How did TCU somehow wrangle in Evans to come to get on campus? And do you think going into next year, he's going to be that game-changing five-star we all think he can be? Yeah, so, man, it was wild. I remember, I guess it was summer term last or Yeah, it was last year. Um, they, they have online classes now. And so we all knew Evans was enrolled and we're all texting. I'm texting friends of friends. I'm trying to get somebody who knows someone who's in this class at 8 a.m. on Monday morning because if Evans <laughs> logs in, he's committed to TCU. Um, and so, you know, I've got, I got friends, friends of mine who work at the admissions office who are texting with them. I'm like, hey, I know you really can't say anything, but like, have you done any paperwork? Like, what's going on here? And it was just this great big moment of collective holding our breath at like 7.58 on a, on a Monday morning, trying to figure out if he was going to log in. So um, I, I think Gary Patterson's one who uh, has a reputation for being harsh with players, but it's kind of that like fierce, tough love. And I think, I think it's very easy to look at someone who maybe has been disrespected by coaches when he misbehaves before. Uh, misbehaves a big word when there's, when there's issues, whatever. And, and Gary yeah. Patterson's able to say like, Hey, I, you know, I, I have a track record where I want you to succeed and here are the standards and I'm going to hold you to them. And I respect you. And I very easily see um, just a really nice, nice way for him to come in and, and say, look, we're going to, we're going to give you the opportunity to succeed here and we're going to respect you. Um, and, and we're going to um, give you an opportunity to plug in. Uh, TCU did a really good job of kind of saving Evans last year. Um, and not just, you know, I think I think it could have been a, a, a really bad situation for him to come in and say, hey, you're going to get 50 carries a game, like you're going to or 50 snaps a game. You're going to be the guy. And they rotated with, uh, you know, Kendra Miller, another really underrated freshman running back. Um, and then Dar- uh, Darwin Barlow and DeMarco Foster, who are just, you know, veteran, really, really good running backs. And so with that stable gave Evans some room to grow. Um, as for his ceiling, I think he is unparalleled. Uh, in terms of what TCU has had at running back, in terms of being able to get involved in the passing game. Um, I, I have my qualms about how often TCU worked on these kind of plays and, and ran them. But, man, there's a couple of Zach Evans seam routes that are just lethal um, if, if he and Duggan can connect on those. And so I think the ability in the pass rush – or, excuse me, in the pass – um, game is really, really high. I think TCU will continue to do everything they can to kind of ease the burden and make sure that he is um, in a rotation so that he's not subject to too much pressure or too much physical stress. Um, and then, of course, you could see what at his spring game, it was like a defensive end took a half step the wrong way, and Zach Evans was like, oh, I'm in the end zone. And 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 uh, he just has that ability that's that's really great. You know, running back success is highly contextualized. Um, and so it depends on the offensive line being healthy and kind of the play call and the deployment and all that. But 
uh, Evans is going to be able to make some plays uh, in, in a way that TCU has not really had somebody like that, despite the fact that TCU has very good, very solid running backs the last couple of years. Yeah, I, th- I think he has. I, if 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 it if he like reaches his ceiling, he's going to be right up there with LT in terms of just the historically great TCU running backs. I mean that that's this that, that's really this kid's potential. But I want to get to the coaching side. Gary Patterson has been the head coach of TCU since 2000. I was like four years old when this dude walked into town, and he's shown that he can have this long level of success, this longevity, multiple New Year's Six Bowls appearance, a Rose Bowl win. I mean, how has Patterson for you been able to sustain this success for 20-plus years, and do you think he's done? Do you think he can reach the heights he once reached here at TCU? Yeah, so – I, man, if I knew, let me tell you, I'd be writing a book and speaking <laughs> at every coaching clinic that would take me. Um, I, I think Patterson has done a really good job um, in, in saying, I, I know what I want to do and I know who I want to, to, to take and I know how I want to build them. I'm going to work with people that I trust. I'm going to ask them to do things that might sound weird, but they're going to trust me and we're going to build this thing and, and, and really going. So uh, I think the level of consistency that Patterson has, has shown uh, in kind of how he runs his program uh, has, has, has really put him in a position to get lucky often. And not, not that luck is a bad thing, but um, you know, Javon Boykin was not a quarterback and then he was uh, and, and stuff like yeah. that, where just, you know, Patterson put everything in the right position and then all it took was just a little luck to kind of reach that next, um, that next ceiling. So uh, really, really impressive there. You know, that quote, there's, there's that quote going around from a couple of years ago at media days where Patterson just said, uh, you know, the recruiting stars are your stars. They're not my, they're not my ratings. Um, and saying, I don't, I don't care about being the guy that can take a two-star running back and make him a, uh, an NFL defensive end. That's not, I don't care what you say about that. That guy was an NFL defensive end when I recruited him, like uh, in my mind. And so I, I think that is, you know, just kind of that alternate mentality. Um, as for his ceiling, um, I, I don't know that I, I really, I don't know that I have a strong opinion about can he do it again? I mean, he's assembled something that this year that it's going to be a disappointment if they're not in Arlington at the end of the season. Uh, just the way things are going, it doesn't mean that they should be. It doesn't mean that they're one of the two best teams in the Big 12. It's just going to say if they don't get there this year, uh, it's going to be disappointing. I think that he has some pretty clear goals left in his career. Um, but I, I do think we're seeing the, you know, the final chapter of the Patterson era. Um, and that doesn't mean, you know, I, I don't think he's in Bill Snyder territory right now where it's like, oh, no, we need to get rid of this guy. It is just interesting to see how is this thing going to end? Um, if it's in 10 years, is that in five years? Well, you know, what does that look like? Right. I mean, he's right up there with, you know, the Bobby Bowden's, the Bill Snyder's, where it's like he he defines the university in terms of uh, if you hear that name that you're like TCU, K-State, so on. But National Signing Day, man, wrapped up last month. The Horn Frogs, after a year where they had a top 20 class, they signed a top 60 class. But it's not due to a lack of talent. It's just due to a lack of numbers. Only 14 high school players signed. They got a few transfer portal pickups. But in terms, you know, they had a big class last year, so I get it. But what were the biggest positional needs for the Horn Frogs this year? And is there anyone in this class that you're like, okay, that kid's going to be a superstar? In terms of immediate impact, uh, n- no, because I think TCU's biggest needs are kind of along the offensive line um, and and at the quarterback position. And so you've got some interesting candidates uh, kind of in, in, in both of those, but nobody that's going to immediately step on the field. Um 
I'll be vague and say there's a couple potential wide receivers that might come in and, and make me look dumb for saying that. But right now, I don't think anyone they've picked up has kind of been uh, immediate. The, the, the biggest one is obviously Obina Easy from Memphis, the tackle. Um, there is some weird kind of trade-offs there because TJ Stormont was um, evidently not not prepared or not willing to play right tackle. And and so he transferred to Texas Tech, which is a big loss. But with Easy there, um, you, you kind of have a, a really, really good kind of dynamic tackle and then a lot more maturity across the offensive line. TCU, it, it's kind of weird because you want to say, man, they lost uh, Trayvon Merrick and they lost Ardarius Washington and they lost Garrett Wallow from the defense. They're bringing back a ton of guys who are experienced. Um, Bork, Bud Clark, a four-star um, athlete, is going to plug in as a, as a sophomore uh, kind of in the secondary there. And so he'll be a young name. Um, and the one, the one that I'm kind of excited about, uh, is, is at the wide receiver position guys that didn't really play last year, uh, Savion Williams and Mikel Barkley, both should, uh, figure into the TCU's offense, um, as well. So if you're looking at younger names, those are kind of the guys you're going to see. Kenny Turnier transfer from, uh, UCF is going to work along the defensive line and be a really immediate impact. So, you know, TCU is kind of one of those more development programs. And aside from a rare guy like Evans or a Quentin Johnston, um, which those are the two positions it's probably easiest to, to move for high school and come up and, and, and plug and play uh, wide receiver and running back. You're, you're going to see a lot of guys that have kind of been learning and getting stronger and getting some experience kind of, kind of plug in there. Right. And now I kind of want, I want to get your opinion on this and it's the Chandler Morris situation. We had Jessica Cootie on from Oklahoma about it. Uh, I got, so I got the Oklahoma take, I've given my take on it on our episode, very vocal about how I felt about it. But what is your take on it? And what is like the narrative surrounding TCU as a whole about what should happen with Chandler Morris and how, you know, Lincoln Riley is handling this whole situation? Yeah. So, so what, one, I have to say this, this needs to be a bigger conversation than about Lincoln Riley and Chandler Morris. So as I'm saying these things, note that I'm not just specifically saying on this, although it is really fun to joke on Twitter and, Lincoln Riley actually blocked me over a Chandler Morris comment, which um, he didn't, <laughs> wow. you know, he didn't, he didn't thank me after like the nine graphs I made that showed how good their offense has been over the last couple of years, but he got mad about a Chandler Morris joke. So um, yeah, the, 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 the guiding principle here is neutral rules applied equally are a good thing. Um, especially when it's talking about the transfer market and whether, you know, a player can move and, and immediately play. Um, and, and, I, I don't know. I don't know what you've heard. I know what I've heard. I don't know that I believe this. There's rumors of like a, a, a cell phone that was a burner phone and, you know, taking pictures of playbooks and Chandler Morris was a spy and all this nonsense. And that's fine. One, hilarious. Love that. Um, two, if Lincoln Riley thinks that's happening, then Lincoln Riley needs to levy an accusation and there need to be proper channels to, to punish TCU for cheating or for tampering, Right. What doesn't need to happen is a millionaire coach inflict his will on a child's career, a teenager's career, a young man's career to give him a little more respect. Sorry. Uh, based, based on his whims or his, you know, shadowy, Oh, I didn't like that. So this guy's going to have to suffer. We shouldn't have a system that lets coaches do that. That's, that's just silly. So I'm not even making a, a value statement about the propriety of in-conference transfers. I'm saying there needs to be a rule that's generally applied. We don't need to have coaches at their whim holding people out uh, to prove a point. That just feels gross. 
Yeah, it's it's definitely gross. Uh, in case I don't, you know, I probably, you probably didn't hear the episode. I was very pro TCU in this whole situation. I was very I had you know, if Lincoln Riley listened to the episode, I'm assuming I'm also going to be blocked on everything. I'm probably just not big enough to be blocked. He probably doesn't even know I exist. But uh, you know, outside of that, I mean, it's like you said, it's crazy. And the whole argument that you know they're get, they can take plays, they can do this, that. I mean, NFL players move teams all the time. They have inter squad scrimmages. They do all. It's like it's been done before. Like it's going to be okay. We saw Austin Kendall do the same thing, go to West Virginia. He was a graduate transfer. Everything was fine. West Virginia didn't have everyone's playbook, but it is what it is. We're going to see how that turns out, especially with, you know, the most recent transfer rule being passed and conferences kind of falling one by one in terms of interconference transfers. But let's get to the field for next season, man. 2021, not going to be an easy path. I'm not going to lie to you. TCU does have a pretty tough schedule. SMU and Cal are not easy non-conference wins. Those are both going to be tough games. And road games against Oklahoma, K-State, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State are probably some of the tougher environments in the Big 12. For you, though, right now on April 22nd, way, way, way too early prediction, what is the ceiling and or floor for TCU next year? Yeah, so I've I've done this a little bit and I've tried to hold off because I, I I'm so bad about you know my my objective gut <laughs> feeling. Um, I, I I think that uh, I mean obviously you've got to throw some parameters about barring weird injuries, barring flukes, right. whatever normal like the distribution of outcomes is is anywhere between um seven and eleven wins um in the regular season. And so 11 wins is you beat everybody but Oklahoma or you beat Oklahoma and lose a stupid one, which would also be very, very TCU. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so I, I think that uh, there is kind of a clear second tier in the Big 12. And I think TCU absolutely has every bit of equipment to be at the top of it. Uh, you know, media narratives about Texas being back and Iowa State returning production aside, um, TCU has a veteran quarterback. TCU is returning a quarterback with a full offseason for the first time since 2017. Um, TCU has uh, played all last year, all the last two years with just a revolving door at the offensive line. Um, Basically since Lucas Niang went out um, or into the season uh, in 2019, Max Duggan has been getting hit like 12 times a game, just, uh, just unsustainable. And, and so some offensive line security um, goes a long way to raise that floor. You've got a playmaker in, in Zach Evans. You've got maybe, Maybe not right now, but potentially the best deep threat wide receiver in the Big 12 and Quentin Johnston, um, like an NFL caliber, uh, just excellent outside threat, um, which is, it, it, you know, just a ton of potential there, w- along with a stable of guys, you know, Tay Barber, somebody I haven't, I haven't said his name, um, who is one of TC's better wide receivers and was really under underutilized last year and, and should see a lot of play this year. Um, you couple that with. Uh, like I mentioned, just one, Kari Coleman at defensive end uh, was kind of a revelation last year. O'Shawn Mathis got some time to grow, and he's been really solid. You shore up the defensive line. They're so important in the four-two-five that they kind of dictate the, the success of everybody else. And so I think there's going to be a, a, a lot of uh, improvement on the defense, even as you lose a couple really, really good guys. There's experienced guys that can fill in there. McGuinn, Foster, um, Nook Bradford is another name you'll see. And then Memphis uh, Memphis cornerback tj carter is actually playing safety for tcu so he'll be another experienced guy and then tcu is going to have maybe two of the best cornerbacks in the nation starting uh in Trevious hodges tomlinson and noah daniels um they, that's not an 
uh, overstatement. That might be an understatement. Um, these, these two guys are just excellent. Um, and so I think that the defense is going to, uh, fool some people because they're expecting the normal Patterson defense, but they also see them losing kind of their three biggest, uh, producing guys. There will be a lot there, um, on the defensive side. And so TCU is going to go as far as the offense goes. If the offense, you know, uh, struggles and can't can't run inside zone and and can't build off play action. Yeah, it's going to be another frustrating year. If TCU can score enough uh, to support their defense, man, they're going to be pesky uh, in the Big Twelve. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I think it's Oklahoma right now is at the top for me for sure. Um, as much as that kills me to say, I'm not a huge Oklahoma guy. But then I think you know you got to put Iowa State, TCU. I would even put K State in that second tier too. If if they stay healthy, because they were kind of rolling there early, and then Skylar Thompson goes down, you throw in a true freshman, and it just all kind of wheels fall off. Kansas, of course, going to probably be at the bottom. I don't know what Baylor's going to be, so I think it's going to. I think it's. I think the Big Twelve is going to be very competitive next year. I think it's going to be a doggy dog out there in the Midwest. But I want to shift to the environment of just Dallas Fort Worth, Amon G Carter Stadium. I haven't been able to make it down to a game. I was in Dallas-Fort Worth for the Auburn-Oregon game, though, um, a few years ago. So the city is great. I really enjoy it. I think game day was in Fort Worth, kind of closer to the TCU campus. We went to that. It was a beautiful part of town. What makes this environment, especially this big city atmosphere, so unique? And what makes this stadium a must-see on game day? Yeah, so so for for out-of-towners, DFW is like a big kind of – conglomeration um and fort Fort worth proper is a really good job of kind of feeling a little bit more like a small town um and so there is a collegiate atmosphere there are you know tcu banners um on every lamppost from from campus to downtown um it's 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 immensely walkable to kind of park and walk through the neighborhoods and people are out on the lawns and playing cornhole and just kind of sprawled everywhere um and, and and so it's it's just a really nice kind of welcoming town there's there's so many places for you to know go get some good barbecue go to swiss pastry shop and and get a get some kolaches before the game um and and kind of walk over and and so the there's there's just so much to do there in addition to it being a college town um and then you get you get inside and um, I don't want to romanticize. I, I like it. I think it's a lot of fun to see TCU there. You know, we've got Super Frogs, probably the weirdest mascot in the world. And I'm getting old because I feel sentimental about the kids, the bleacher creatures running before the game on the field and everything. That's a lot of fun. Um, and so I think that, um, you know, college football largely is, uh, despite what the, despite what the suits at, at ESPN want to tell you, college football is not, um, high stakes games on a weeknight in NFL domes. College football is your alma mater on Saturday, um, going to the local spot that you went to in college, having a beer with your college roommate, walking across, talking to people, uh, you know, walking across campus, talking to people, having good food. And, and Fort Worth just provides so many opportunities for that. Um, I mean, honestly, you could do worse in college football than parking behind the TCU chapel, walking to Buff Bros or Dutchess, and, uh, and walking across campus to a tailgate before you head into the game. So just a, a really good college atmosphere with all the amenities of kind of a large town. Um, Amon Carter's really nice. There, there, there really aren't bad seats if you don't go in September uh, when they play FCS teams at 1 o'clock. But I'm not going to apologize for Texas uh, at 1 o'clock and in, in late in early September. That's um, – that's just a, a force of nature. And so take some sunscreen, make sure you're hydrated, but uh, it's, it's a really great stadium. Yeah. I, listen, you don't have to defend it to me. I'm an Auburn alum. Those one o'clock games in late August, early September in Southern Alabama, it is 
brutal. My co-host is actually an LSU fan, and one of my first games I went to was Auburn LSU, and it was like 2.30 September, like 16th, and it was like 115 degrees, and that yellow stadium is ugly, and I hated it every second of it. I was sunburned, but I agree. I like that you said that, though, about the ESPN suit guys telling you it's all about one game. I agree. I've been so vocal on the podcast that this idea of no parity and these September games don't matter between this school and this school. There's games every week that matter. I agree completely. And just the college experience is really what it's about. But man, I appreciate having you on. This was an absolute blast. This was easily one of my favorite you know, ones we've done. But where can our listeners find you? I know you do a lot of stuff in a lot of different places. So where can they find you? Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm I'm so glad to do it, and always always love to come and talk too much about about TCU and college football. Yeah, so uh, the best place to find me is my my Twitter page at stats o war, um, and uh, I, I run a little stats website called cfb graphscom and that's going to have your you know advanced stats leaderboards like EPA, expected points added, um, some drive based stats, some quality possession measures, um, and some cool kind of preview matchups, um, which I, which I post throughout the season. Uh, I contribute at uh, football outsider outsiders, excuse me, this off season. I'm just doing some, some random stat stuff that I've kind of thought about. Um, just had an article up recently about returning uh, talent and how transfers and recruiting uh, kind of factor into returning production and what a roster looks like. And so uh, you can follow me there. And then of course I run a newsletter and a podcast called purple theory. That's all my more, um, kind of TCU uh, specific stuff. And so Grant and I are, are podcasting weekly. Uh, and so you can find all of that there at, at stats war on Twitter um, and at the website CFB grass.com, which version 2.0 is getting released right before the draft. So keep an eye on that as well. Guys, definitely go check it out. Y'all know how I feel about stats. I'm the stats guy on this podcast. I love talking advanced analytics and stuff. So I, that, that, that website is going to have to be favorited on everyone's computer. Um, if you support the pod, man, make sure to go check out Parker and all that stuff. TC is going to be such a fun team to keep up with, guys. So make sure to go check him out. Y'all know where to find us, man. We'll be back with a Big 12 and 30 days later this week. We got John Morris from Baylor coming on. We might have to talk a little bit of basketball with them after the national championship. But guys, for Parker, myself, and the Blue Bloods, we are out. <laughs>